When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Tax Alpha Solutions Podcast, hosted by Matt Chansey. Matt is a tax consultant, author, and certified financial planner with almost two decades helping his clients grow their net worth. On the show, Matt brings together an array of specialists to share with you their experience and success along with strategies of the 1%. Matt Chansey is with Coastal One, member FINRA SIPC. And now, here's your host, Matt Chansey. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Matt Chancy, and this is the Tax Alpha Solutions Podcast. Today, I'm on with Michelle Seiler Tucker, and she is the Forbes author of Exit Rich. And who wouldn't want to exit rich? Because it sounds amazing. She is a business broker extraordinaire. She sells big businesses for rich clients, and she's done it thousands of times. Welcome, everyone. Michelle Seiler Tucker to the show. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm awesome. Nice to meet you today. Nice to meet you. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you pick this path? How did you get into the business that you're in? Well, I've always been an entrepreneur. So, you know, unlike most, and I really classify myself as a merchant acquisitions master, intermediary, um, M&A advisor, not really a business broker. I always say business brokers sell pizzerias and coffee shops. (laughs) We sell large businesses, you know, typically $10 million and up. I've always been an entrepreneur um, owning many different businesses. And I always told my mom I would never get a job. You know, no matter what, I would never get a job. Well, I did get a job. <laughs> Their office actually recruited me uh, to be the regional vice president. And I did that for a while and really hated it. So I left Xerox and really started my own franchise development, franchise consulting, and um, franchise sales company. I was an equity partner with different franchisors. And I just had so many buyers that kept asking me for existing businesses. You know, they didn't want to get into the franchise industry. And so I kept saying, no, no, no. And then one day I'm like, why, why, why am I not selling companies? <laughs> so that's when I really decided to start my M&A firm along with my franchise consulting franchise development firm and really started selling companies a little over 20 years ago. So I personally have sold hundreds upon hundreds of companies uh, along with my team We've pretty much sold businesses in every vertical you can imagine. Um, we've written, I have written a few books on the subject. Exit Rich is one of them. Um, my very first book was Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth in 2013. You know, what I've learned in the last 20 years is that what Steve Forbes says is so true. 80% of businesses on the market will never sell. And there's, a, you know, many reasons for that. Um, and that's why I started years ago, not just selling companies, but we really specialize in buying companies, flipping them, selling them, uh, partnering with business owners. So when business owners, businesses are not sellable for a multitude of reasons, I'll partner with them, invest in my money, my core competencies, my resources, and I'll put them on the path where we're going to exit that business for anywhere from five, 10, 15, $20 million within a certain time frame. So it's not, you know, selling businesses is our bread and butter. That's what we specialize in. But again, we specialize in really helping business owners fix their business, grow their business. 
so they can grow it into a sustainable, scalable, and sellable asset. And we also um, implemented what I call the Vote to Exit Rich program. And that's where we really um, get business owners into our system to where we help them really, you know, discover what do they want to do? <laughs> What's their seller sanity check? What are they trying to accomplish? What are their objectives? We also really talk to them about, you know, what is your GPS exit model that we talk about in Exit Rich? You know, what is your destination? What do you want to sell your business for? And we help them plan their exit. We help them really build their business on the proper infrastructure, which we call the six P's in my book, Exit Rich. And those are, you know, obviously people, you have the right people, you have to have the right team. I mean, the number one reason businesses don't sell is because business owners have created a glorified job in which they go to work at every day versus a business that works for them. So we really, you know, help them develop the right people, get them in the right seats. Um, so it's people, product, processes, proprietary patients, and profits. And this is the infrastructure that you really need to build your business on. So on that Rotax Rich program, we're really working with business owners to get their business in position so they can sell within the next one to three years. Nice. That's awesome. Okay. So now I want to ask, I made some notes while you were talking because there was a lot of nuggets in there and I want to double back on some of that. So the co-invest. So, so when you see a business that looks like you need to get involved in it, maybe, I don't know if it's you're infusing capital or just your IP or your systems and processes to make it better. Is there, is any industry or vertical on the table? Are there some that you prefer over others? And what traits or um, uh, gaps or inefficiencies are you looking for the most that you go, hey, I can get in there and I can fix that thing and I can make it better. Like this is, I'm excited to hear this. So are we talking about on the partnership side? Because uh, there's a partnership side and there's a road to exit rich. So on the partnership side, if I'm going to invest my money, my time and energy effort, core competencies, there's a lot of criteria that, that I'm going to look at and evaluate and really do my due diligence. Um, I like niche businesses. You know, you're not going to probably see me go into a restaurant industry. <laughs> you're not going to see me do something like that. I like business that's a niche. I also want to make sure that the owner is still passionate about the business or if there's a good solid management team that wants to continue on. But I want to make sure that, that they're still in it because I'm not going to go physically run the business. I don't have time for that. I don't have time to phys- physically get in there and operate the business. But so I want to make sure that the owner, manager team, they're still passionate about the company. Uh, I want to make sure it's a niche. I want to make sure that the owner is coachable. Because you'll never grow the business beyond what you can grow the owner. And usually if the business has a problem, fish stinks from the head. <laughs> so I want to make sure the owner is coachable. I also want to make sure that it's a business that we can duplicate um, throughout the United States and maybe in some other countries. And I want to make sure that, that the owner has the same objectives, shares the same values, has the same ethics that I do. And I want to make sure that they're on the same page as far as exiting, because, you know, so many owners are like, yeah, I want to exit. But then when I get back in there and start making the money again, they're like, oh, no, I want to hold on to it. <laughs> I'm not in the business to hold on to. I'm in the business to exit. Oh, they're like, this is the best job I've ever had. I love it now. I want to keep it. And you're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> right. Right, right, right. 
<laughs> totally understand. Well, well, you know, back that goes back to your point. You know, at the beginning, you said many people have just created a glorified job for themselves. They don't necessarily own a business. They're so commingled and intertwined with the fabric of what the business is that you can't remove them or exit them from it themselves, or else it collapses under its own weight. Right, and that's the number one number one reason why eighty percent of the businesses don't sell. It's number one because. Business owners don't have a sustainable, scalable, sellable business. And number two is because business owners never really think about selling their business until a catastrophic event occurs, you know, internal or external. Internal is health issues, partner disputes, divorce, death. They'll call me up one day and say, Michelle, I can't take it anymore. Got to sell this business for me. And they want it, it, what they and then what they feel the business is worth is completely opposite of what business is truly worth. You know, I have clients that call me all the time and say, oh, I want to sell my business for $10 million. We did the valuation, their cash flow is maybe $100,000 because pretty much all sellers will base the business evaluation or base what they think the business is worth based upon what they need, not based upon the value. So they look at the retirement, they look and say, okay, well, I need this much money to live on or I need this much money to put five girls through college and pay for five girls' weddings, or I need this much for this or that. And there's such a huge gap. And that's one of the number one reasons that that 80% businesses don't sell is because there's such a huge gap between what the business is really worth versus what the seller thinks they need for it, which is kind of where you come in and which is where tax strategies come in. Because a lot of times business owners will say, oh, I need $10 million. And when we really, you know, go through the whole seller sanity check, because we dig, we dig pretty deep to find out, okay, well, how many are you? How many are you supporting? How old are you? How long are you planning to live? You know, how much do you need a month? How much do you need a year? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and then they're, they're figuring after I pay capital gains and everything else, this is what I need to walk away with. Well, that's not necessarily true. If you bring in the right tax strategist, that can help them mitigate their taxes. Yeah. No, I would agree. That's a part of it. I mean, look, it's about net proceeds from sale. And, you know, too many times if you're not looking at cost, fees, expenses, which the biggest one of those many times is taxes, which many people stick their head in the sand and think there's nothing that they can absolutely do about it. They so. stick their head in the sand and then they end up not selling. And then what happens is a catastrophic event occurs like a pandemic or a hurricane or a tornado or a fire or something. And then their business just goes downhill and they end up, you know, selling for pennies on a dollar close and their business or even worse, filing bankruptcy. Yeah. yeah. So you don't, you know, you always should never not sell because of tax issues, <laughs> because you think the taxes are going to, you know, be too high and keep you from selling your company. No, absolutely. No, I, I agree with that. It sound, I've heard you drop some little phrases in there over and over, like, you know, your um, your road to exit rich, you kind of mentioned in there. And the other ones you said kind of fast on me, but you definitely, I can hear the defining of processes in your business in the way that you line it out, you know, to help people understand that, um, you know, this journey that people go through of understanding value for the business and what it takes to exit, Everybody thinks their problems are unique. The reality is, is almost don't, doesn't every single business owner almost have all the same struggles and challenges when it comes to determining valuation? Um, yes and no. I mean, there, there are some, you know, different ones in there. Um, but I mean, look, I partner with a company in Texas and, you know, we went through, they, the owner called me and he was pretty much devastated and really closed his business down. And after talking to him for a while, I decided, you know, you're not sellable because he 
and his wife for the business. You take them out of the business, there is no business. But, you know, he had kind of an opposite problem. They were turning down about 6,000 clients a year. Turning down, turning yeah. away. We can't turn service. away. We can't service you. We can't get to you. There's no way we can get to you. And that's not the problem that most business owners have. Most business, a lot of business owners have a lack of clients, right? They need more clients, need more clients, but um, they had, they couldn't service the clients. So that was one of the biggest issues. Well, the reason they couldn't service the clients is because they didn't have the people. <laughs> they had no processes. So yes, a lot of times the problems are the same. But you get somebody like that, you know, that's, they have so many clients they just can't get to. And then we had another client, a plastic manufacturing company. And the problem with them is they had huge, huge revenues. They were having their best years ever, but they had employees that had been with them for decades and they kept raising the employees, raising the employees, raising the employees. And they're such a slim profit margin in plastics yeah. that they ended up just pricing themselves out with employee costs. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I know some guys in the oil services business right now that run on really thin margins and because of supply chain issues today, it's causing a real crunch for them because the the packaging to ship oil services type products is kind of an industry standard where it comes from and those costs have gone up. And if you're making, you know, if if you've got to fill a whole train car of something to be able to ship it to make money doing it, it's, you know, those those low margin businesses are tough if you're not really efficient with it. Yeah, the, the, the business owners are really doing good and doubling down are the ones who doubled down are the ones who during you know the pandemic and everything said, oh, look, we're going to stockpile. We're going to stockpile. We're going to get as much stuff, supplies as we can possibly get. And so when our competition can't get their hands on it, we got it. And there are so many business owners that have quadrupled their numbers because of that, because they doubled down. Yeah. Well, so let me ask you, how did you view the pandemic? I mean, many people would say this a was a blood in the streets event. And you, if you were opportunistic and said, okay, things are selling for pennies on the dollar. What do I buy? That's accretive to my overall business value so that when we come out of this mess, we're doing better, right? And exponentially better. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, a lot of the businesses though, that you could buy for pennies on the dollar businesses, I don't particularly want. <laughs> and if I was just a turnaround specialist, and that's really all I, all I do, then I would absolutely cash in on, on that. Um, but that's not all I do. And I'll multiple other companies. As far as the M&A world, 2021 was pretty much dead. I mean, there were some transactions going on, but you know, buyers didn't want to pull the trigger. Buyers were, were slow to, to make a decision. Sellers were kind of, it depends on the industry. I mean, in the hospitality industry, like get rid of my stuff, get rid of my restaurant, get rid of this, get rid of that. So it really depends upon the industry. But 2021 was really... I'm sorry, let me back up. 2020 was slow. 2021 was crushing it. 2021 was probably one of the best years ever in M&A. And 2022 is pretty much even better. The big difference between 2021 and previous years, the prior years is we work with a lot of private equity groups. So, so many PEGs have so many deals in the pipeline. They might have 10, 15, 20 deals, whereas in previous years, they might have three, four, or five deals in the pipeline, right? Now they have 10, 15, 20, and they don't have the bandwidth to, to look at new businesses. The process is much slower because they don't have the bandwidth. So that's a big change in MA. But the activity is there. There's more transactions now than, than gosh, than I can ever remember, really. But that's for the larger type businesses. That's not the small businesses. That's, you know, for businesses 40, 50, 100 million and up. Sure. So talking about the PEG groups, the private equity groups that you're seeing, um, 
I, the way I see it, looks like the capital markets are frothy. There seems to be money everywhere for something that's ultimately sellable. How does that look from your side? Yeah, a thousand percent. And that's, you just hit the nail on the head. Something that's sellable. Sellable. (laughs) Remember, 80% of businesses aren't sellable. 80% of businesses, 90% of business probably are below the $1 million EBITDA. And that's what these buyers are looking for. You know, if you're a private equity group, they're looking at businesses that are 3 million to 5 million for a platform in EBITDA, which is, of course, earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, amortization, just in case your audience doesn't know, but I'm sure they do. <laughs> so they're looking for, you know, EBITDA 3 to 5, 3 to 7. And then for add-ons, you know, most of them are wanting an EBITDA at least over a million. So there's lots of buyers for the cream of the crop. But the problem is, you know, there's more buyers for great businesses than there are great businesses to buy. So the smaller businesses are the ones that are really hurting. Sure. How are you, the, the buyers that are coming in today that you're working with the private equity, are they looking for, are they looking to get in new markets that they're not in? Are they looking to find things that are accretive to the businesses that they're already in that are kind of value add that can be clicked together and, and yeah. then change the valuation through multiples? Like, what are you seeing out there? Why are they buying? Yeah, so, so both. Um, private equity groups are buying platforms. So they're looking at industries they're not in. We have an electrical company for sale in the $50 million range, a little over $7 million in EBITDA. Probably will do $8 million this year. And, you know, there are a lot of private equity firms looking at this particular business because it's a high EBITDA. They're looking at it for a platform. There's also uh, private equity groups already in that space are looking at it for an add-on. It's not really too big for an add-on for them. Um, so we're seeing really private equity groups looking to get into new in- industries, looking to branch out, but it's kind of the same. You still got the private equity groups that are looking for add-ons. They're looking to grow their current portfolio and, you know, or, or we'll look at pretty much anything that is a good fit for them. Now, yes, they're looking for synergies. They're looking for those teams. They're looking for that management team. You know, they're looking for something that's unique, patents, trademarks, databases, contracts, recurring revenues, all those proprietary assets that really drive value in the business. Sure. Makes sense. There was a business we were working with a few years back that um, had a private equity group come to them and say, um, you know, hey, we really love your business. I think it was a value around maybe 50 million, give or take at the time. But they realized that there was um, um, some risk on the tail end because they had one core customer that made up a huge swath of their revenue. Mm -hmm. But they were in kind of the home services business selling one type product. And what they realized was that there's probably another seven or eight lines that they could ultimately develop to be able to sell to those same type customers, the same end buyer. So they ended up not even getting really new customers per se. It was the same customer, but just started offering other, look, the person that buys a home, right, is going to buy X amount of other things, you know, lawn and garden windows and paint and hammocks and whatever. And they diversified their revenue stream and private equity came back, you know, five years later and offered them three times as much for the business because they diversified their revenue stream and de-risked it that way, right? Yeah, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I was going to say, so So I'm sure knowing the business consulting angle of you today, right? Because you're not just an M&A person that's helping somebody exit. You're an M&A person that's helping people grow their business, turn around their business, diversify their revenue streams, you know, improve the quality of their management team and their human capital. So I'm sure you see some of those opportunities as well. Anything like that that you've worked on? Well, a thousand percent. And, and again, I go back to the infrastructure, I go back to the six Bs. And when we do evaluations, you know, of course, of course, it's about EBITDA, but more importantly, it's about 
those proprietary assets, those proprietary synergies that a business has. And it's about do they function on all six cylinders? And customer concentration is one thing you kind of just brought up. You know, I don't know why, but it seems like I get all the businesses with customer concentration. <laughs> but customer concentration is very difficult. I mean, we're selling a business right now that's got 70, 70% of the revenue tied up in one grocery store chain. <laughs> so if they lose that grocery store chain, they literally lose 70% of the revenue. So that's that's something that, you know, is tough because you really have to work with your clients to try to diversify the revenue base, the client base, you know, before you put that business on the market. But then in some situations, like in this particular situation, we can't because they can barely keep enough inventory to even supply the 70% client they have. <laughs> so what we're really doing working with them right now is to add machinery, to add a whole line of machinery that will really quadruple uh, what they're able to produce and cut their labor costs in nearly half. And this will be able to help them add other clients, you know, other customers on. Very nice. I mean, you really got to think outside the box, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> you really got to think outside the box and, and see, okay, well, how can we make this work? What can we do? Um, it's like a manufacturing business we have too. And when you do the valuation, it's so important to really evaluate those synergies and know who your buyers, who your target buyers are going to be. Because in a lot of cases you can cut money at the close of the sale and really increase the buyer's EBITDA day one. Like we have a manufacturing business that has one distribution center that's costing $5 million to operate. But we have another manufacturing business that has distribution pretty much all over the, the United States. And right away, they're going to cut that distribution center, which increases increases EBITDA exponentially. Yeah. yeah. So those are the things that you really have to look for when you're not just an evaluation when you're actually, you know, going to market for the business. Understood. We've talked a little bit about the people that are within the business. What about the people that are external that might be advisors to an existing business owner when you come in? How do you play? How does your role work out where you play? Maybe they have a CPA, maybe they have an attorney, maybe they have a financial advisor, an insurance person, or some trusted person that's helped them grow their business over the years. How do you play well with others? Yeah, well, if I didn't learn how to play well with others 20 years ago, I probably wouldn't be in business today. <laughs> so I learned that a long time ago. But um, probably at Xerox, where I had 100 and something crazy, unruly salespeople underneath me, <laughs> I learned how to play well with others. But, um, you know, we really get to know, we try to get to know the CPAs, the current CPAs, the current attorneys. And, you know, a lot of times the seller will say, listen, this is over my CPA's head, or this is over my attorney's head. You know, I've got a great CPA, a great attorney. We never want to exclude the CPA or attorney. We like to include them, but we want to bring in a specialist, somebody that really specializes in M&A, and that's really all they do, or specializes in decreasing you know, your tax liability. Um, you know, We really want to bring in a team, but we don't want to ex- exclude their team because they have trust with their team, right? They have trust. They've probably been with them for years. You know, they might even be friends. So we want to make sure that we include them in the process. And we work with a team of attorneys and CPAs that are always inclusive, never exclusive. They always want to jump on the phone, even schedule a meeting so they can make with, meet with their team and make sure that everybody's on the same page and make sure we're not ruffling any feathers. Yeah, makes sense. It's cl- It works better if it's a collaborative process. Yeah, absolutely, a thousand percent. Now, you know, there's been times where, a CPA is like, oh, that doesn't make sense what they're talking about. And then, you know, once you get past all that, then, you know, they're typically okay. But I think it's always better to include them from the beginning. Yeah, I agree. 
I've found that, you know, you may be bringing in specialized knowledge or you are bringing in specialized knowledge because this is what you do and you're an expert in your space. Mm -hmm. And many times those other advisors have a relationship, which we may never trump. We can't be in their life for 20 or 30 years before we do what it is that we do. But if we can leverage the relationship that the other person has with our expertise, um, we can make good things happen for clients. Absolutely. thousand percent. Absolutely. So what's on the horizon? There's all this big stuff happening and, and the book launch. What's coming next? What's the next big thing? Well, the next big thing, you know, Exit Rich, um, I wrote Exit Rich in 2019. It was supposed to launch in 2020, <laughs> but this small little pandemic, you know, der- derailed that. So we actually launched in 2021, but now we have the audio version of Exit Rich coming out in May. So in May is your time to go out and get your audio version of Exit Rich for $2.95. I mean, that's less than a cup of coffee at Starbucks. And um, otherwise, outside of May, it's going to be $24.95. So get, get your Exit Rich audio version in May. You can get it at any of your favorite stores. I don't think it'll be on Amazon yet, but you can get it at Apple, um, Barnes and Noble and Kobo. So Apple, Barnes and Noble and Kobo, it'll be available. Uh, that'll also give you a lifetime membership into the Extra Rich Book Club where you can get all the documents to operate your business like non-competes, you know, org charts, policy and procedure manuals to sell your business. We actually got sample LOIs, due diligence checklists, purchase agreements, closing documents, all that stuff. I mean, those documents are probably about $50,000 in value. So for $2.95, go out and get that audio version today. I just heard huge value is what I heard. Huge, huge. Huge value right there. <laughs> Very nice. So let me ask you a couple of technical questions. So, so obviously, the, you know, from a political standpoint, you know, the climate is changing and there's a bunch of, you know, regulatory things they're talking about. Is there anything coming on the horizon that could create some headwinds for what's for, for somebody that's potentially looking to sell their business or the, the opposite of that? Are there some opportunities that you see in the political climate that might create an opportunity for somebody to get out sooner or, or hold on even? Well, you're the tax specialist, so you're the one that should answer that question. But <laughs> I'm going to tell everybody, yeah, there's some big changes in the pipeline. And I, I think it's a good time to sell your business. Um, but make sure that you get all your ducks in a row. You know, selling your business is a huge decision. You want to make sure you do it correctly. So you want to make sure that you get the right team on board and you have to have a tax advisor, a thousand percent. I mean, you can include your financial advisor, but you have to have a tax specialist that really knows how to, has lots of tools in their tool chest and knows how to defer that tax liability or or decrease that tax liability. Like what you do, Matt. Defer, reduce, eliminate. Defer, reduce, eliminate. Defer, eliminate. If you can, if you can, right? Yeah, and I think it's important to know that stuff up front because, you know, now look, you're not going to know everything up front, but it's important to plan that up front. I mean, you don't want to get to the finish line where you're signing off on an LOI and you're trying to reverse everything and go backwards so that you can um, reduce your tax liability. Sometimes it's too late when you start getting into purchase agreements. That's right. Sometimes you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Can't do it. Can't do it. So how do people find you? Like when clients come to you, is it, are, are there CPAs, attorneys, or other people referring them? Is it other colleagues in the industry or are you just showing up everywhere? Are you, are you omnipresent and you just are everywhere when people start thinking of selling something? Well, I wish, I hope to be everywhere. You know, that's my grand plan is to be everywhere. 
Um, but obviously, you know, my, my books, Exit Rich, are in the Hudson bookstores. And um, like I said, the audio version is coming out. We do have a podcast called Exit Rich, which I encourage everyone to listen to. I'm on all social media. Um, SilerTucker.com is our main website. Yes, we get lots of referrals from CPAs. We get referrals from attorneys. We could always welcome more, though. We always welcome more. And um, a lot of times our clients are looking for CPAs as well and attorneys, believe it or not, especially CPAs. I've had a lot of attorneys say, oh, I mean, a lot of clients say, gosh, I need a new CPA or I need a new accounting firm, you know, because some CPAs have jumped ship and stuff like that. So we have business to refer to. Nice, nice. And so from a human capital standpoint, has this been an opportunity recently for, I know I know a lot of people are having trouble getting talent today. And I noticed when I was reading your website, there was a thing on there that said, join the team, right? So are you finding opportunities in this, in this market to bring on new talent and grow your team? So I've always had that on my website, join the team, but I will tell you, it is, it is difficult right now for every industry, you know, for, for the legal industry. Um, I have a good friend of mine that's a recruiter in the legal industry. He's like, Michelle, every, law firms are calling me up and they're dying right now. And it's so tough to get good attorneys. Same, same thing in the accounting space. You know, pretty much every industry is, is struggling right now. And, you know, as far as opportunities, you know, one thing I do is I try to look in other industries, you know, my, not, not so much in my own industry, but really look in other industries for somebody who's looking for a career path, something different. Maybe like somebody that's been in accounting, but they're tired of doing taxes and now they want to come and do, you know, be an analyst on the M&A team uh, or something like that. Makes sense. I agree with that 100%. I find it, I call it an opportunity arbitrage. When you can find somebody that has a complementary skill set, but you just need to reposition them a little bit, right? Much easier, much easier than building somebody from the ground up. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I agree with that. So very much. Well, Michelle, it's been a delight. I've had a lot of fun today. You know, any closing things that you'd like to leave the listeners with today, your nuggets of wisdom and all the expertise for helping business owners? Well, if you want, if you want lots of nuggets, go buy Exit Rich because we got Golden Nugget One. So each chapter is a Golden Nugget. <laughs> so go out and buy Exit Rich. But um as far as your audience, I think as our attorneys and CPAs, I mean, the, the one piece of advice I always like to leave, especially entrepreneurs, is you don't have to go this road alone. You know, entrepreneurship can be a lot of fun. It can be exciting, but it's also extremely challenging. And I always say it's hard to read the label from the inside of the bottle. You need an outsider's perspective to read the warning sign and keep the other danger zone. So, you know, get a good mentor, get somebody that's been down the, the road you want to travel because it will shorten your learning curve dramatically. And if you're looking to sell a business, you need to plan way in advance. If you're a CPA or attorney, you know, I would love uh, to have a conversation with you and see how I can help your clients or perhaps I can send clients to you as well. Um, but we're always looking to expand our team. Now, you said one thing there that I'm going to follow up on a question with because I find it interesting. You said, find a mentor. So I'm going to tell a little story real quick. And then I'm going to, so when I was a younger man and I got in the business, somebody had told me to find a, find a mentor, right? And so I found people that I thought were at the pinnacle of what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I called those people and I said, I read about you in a magazine, heard about you, whatever. And I will fly to where you're at and I will work for you for absolutely free. As long as you want me to, you don't have to pay me. And I will grow your business X fold, whatever you want. I said, I will have one condition. When I leave, I want to know what you know so I can go back home and I can build a business. 
And no one would take me up on that offer. No one. No one. So so pivot on that. How do you find a good mentor? How would you find one? Well, first of all, I would take up on that offer in a New York second. And that's that's what we call interns, you know. (laughs) And we have a great intern program here. But um, so the way that I find mentors is like um, Dr. Neil Cobain has, has been one of my mentors. But, you know, I meet him through networking. I meet him through, you know, I'm an international keynote speaker. So I've spoken a lot of stages and I met a lot of great people. And I really network, you know, through those organizations. Um, You have to be very, very careful because there are so many people that say, oh, I've done this, I've done that. And, you know, they rent a house and (laughs) they borrow a car to drive and they really don't have much. And so they're really not successful. So you really got to be careful and do your due diligence but, you know, the way I found my mentors is really through networking, through speaking through different stages, being in different masterminds and really seeing what people are doing and, you know, really kind of watching that person and, you know, do your due diligence, call people that they mentor, check them out. When in doubt, always check them out. And that's yeah. kind of how I find mine. It's just, like I said, just by networking, just by socializing and seeing really who I click with. I would agree. I think the... Um the guru model of, and if you there was a, there was a documentary, I think I saw on Netflix talked about fake famous. They took three people that were absolute nobodies and knew how to manipulate the social media marketplace to make them look like they were pure rock stars. Right. And, and I think, unfortunately, there's too much of that in the world today. These people that promote themselves as a guru. And like you said, it's rented cars, rented houses, rented planes, because the optics on it are what people crave or what people need. But there's really up underneath, there's not a lot of substance to it. And I, I think that's a cautionary tale to make sure if you're, if you're following someone that's a mentor, make sure you pick the right person for the right reason. Yeah, I mean, I've seen that. I've seen that firsthand. Not a mentor that I've, that I've hired, but, you know, somebody who speaks on stage and does a lot of events and stuff. I'm not going to say the name. You probably know him. <laughs> but he is the peer. You know, he rents a house, doesn't have a car, rolls a plane, <laughs> goes on Facebook and say it's all his. So just really, really do your due diligence, you know, check around, but, you know, you want to get somebody who has really been down the road, you want to travel and maybe industry experience, you don't have to have specific industry experience, but sometimes it helps. Sure. I agree. I agree. And maybe it's not going off and doing the thing on your own. Maybe it's finding somebody else that's already doing something pretty great and become an invaluable member of their team and just make them a little better at what they do. Because no matter how great your business is, we always have little gaps, things we could do a little bit better, right? We do. And like I said, it's hard to read the bottle from the inside of the, It's hard to read the label from the inside of the bottle. And that's what is good about masterminds because in masterminds, you typically have 25, 30, 50 people with all different perspectives and really seeing things that you're not seeing. Yeah, I've been part of that. I've been through the Darren Hardy coaching program. You familiar with that? I've heard of it. I, I haven't been part of that. I've been through the, what's the one in Austin? Um, oh my gosh. Ninja Warrior something. I've been through that one. Yeah, I've done a few. And, and you meet you meet good like minded people that are all trying to move in the right direction and trying to grow themselves personally and professionally. So I would agree with that. Get involved in an organization with other entrepreneurs that are trying to move in the right direction. And you may not get everything you want, but you'll get something out of it and you'll keep moving forward. And that's all you can ask. Right. Right. Absolutely. I always say when a student is ready, the teacher appears. That's right. That's right. The right mentor appears. 
I 100% right is so very good. Well, Michelle, I appreciate you sharing everything with it today, and I know the audience loved it because I loved it. Um, fast and furious, that because that's just how you are, and there's nothing <laughs> wrong. With it. I am fast. I know. I'm gonna tell Michelle, slow down. Not <laughs> happening. <laughs> very good so everyone today this was the tax alpha podcast i'm matt chancy today's special guest michelle siler tucker exit rich you can google it and it'll come up everywhere she's a big deal <laughs> you're a bigger deal matt <laughs> ah that's true get the audio book it is packed with value <laughs> thank you for having me on you got it have a great day Thank you for listening to another episode of Tax Alpha Solutions brought to you by Matt Chancy. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's guests and insight. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. 